Hello and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School from Los Angeles, California. It's one o'clock Pacific time. Sunday, May 5. Nice to be with you in this month of May 2013. Thanks for joining us for the Mystery School today. This is a webinar and a podcast that each week covers a different aspect of personal and spiritual development. And we're going to do something a little unusual this week. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about how we fit into nature. The nature of nature, (laughs) if you will. The kingdoms of nature. And, well... What does that have to do with personal and spiritual growth? Well, I mean, one of a number of things, actually, but the primary reason that I see value in talking about the environment and the ecosystem and humanity's role in all of that is that it really becomes a metaphor, a big analogy or allegory for spirituality, and the way in which we comprehend the paradox that is often described as the one and the many. You know, going back before Einstein put the equal sign between energy and matter, the French mathematician René Descartes referred to Cartesian dualism, that's what it's come to be called, by saying basically energy and material stuff is pretty much all that we have. There's two forms of the same thing. The energy as, well, electricity is an example, but heat or light are also examples of energy. There's ionizing radiation. Energy comes in any one of a number of different frequencies, a broad spectrum of frequencies and manifests in many different ways. And then there's the material stuff. So as far back as Descartes, there was an understanding that these are really the fundamental elements. The ancient world had four or five elements. The Chinese had five, including wood. The ancient Greeks and Africans had earth, water, air, and fire. But by the Renaissance era, we had it down to energy and mass, or spirit and matter. And again, Einstein developed Descartes' dualism by creating the infamous formula, energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. E equals mc squared. Well, What's interesting about it is energy is infinite and corresponds to spirit and a kind of divinity or God principle. It's eternal as well as infinite. And yet the material side of things is anything but. The material side of things is not only finite, but it's impermanent. Nothing in the material world lasts at all. And so, in many ways, energy and material stuff, or spirit and matter, the eternal and the impermanent, correspond to God and man, or to heaven and earth, spirit and matter, as I say. 
And uh, to understand the life support system of what we could also call the one and the many, for spirit is unified, and the material world is obviously manifesting itself as many separated forms. Uh, Everything is separated from everything else in the material world. It's said no two objects can occupy the same space at the same time. But that's not true for energy. All around you are hundreds of radio signals, for example, and television signals, and shortwave and cell phones and taxi cabs getting routing instructions from their dispatchers and pizza delivery guys. I mean, (laughs) there's all these frequencies that are blended and sharing the same space at the same time, but they don't get jumbled up because each occupies a separate frequency. They are discrete in that way. So these are just some of the differences between spirit and matter or the one and the many. If we look at the many, the material stuff, the life support system of the world, the environment or ecosystem, we see this same paradox reflected. We see the one and the many. We see a unified life support system, sometimes referred to as symbiotic, where there is this amazing degree of interdependence and interreliance as a result of the way various plants and animals, life forms have evolved in this unified system, at least this system of harmony, if not unity. And I think it's a perfect allegory or metaphor for the nature of spirituality, in which we think of ourselves as single, often separated individuals, We spend our lives trying to understand ourselves or, in the majority of cases, trying to understand other people, if not ourselves, and then reaching out to make some sort of contact with other people to develop our relationships, romantic and otherwise. And yet, in terms of spirituality, the idea that As spiritual beings, we come from a common source and that we're, as a religious person would say, all children of the same God. The mystical traditions in Hawaii call this all from the same rainbow. They have a very good understanding in that culture of the paradox of unity and diversity. You see this in Eastern philosophy as well, that unity and diversity are not opposites. They are not concepts that oppose each other or struggle with each other, that indeed they rely upon each other. The light and dark of Taoism, for example, which is a correspondence to the feminine and masculine principles, yin and yang, The light and dark in that beautiful symbol of Taoism is a way of describing visually 
polarities that are not opposites, but complementary in nature. The philosopher Alan Watts wrote a book once called The Two Hands of God, and the left hand and the right hand are really good examples of opposites that are not opposite. They are really polarities. They are opposite in some sense, but they do not oppose each other. Sometimes we say, well, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Uh, The idea is both hands are connected to arms and a body that are unified by a mind and a heart. And so ultimately we have these two parts to ourselves, arms and legs and eyes and ears and lungs, but we're unified. And so it's not a matter of, well, which is it? Are we dual in nature? Are we many in nature? Or are we one? Well, it's yes and yes and yes. (laughs) All of these things are true. And so the paradox of the one and the many is resolved in the environment, in the ecosystem, where a single unified, or as they say, consider it harmonized, if not unified, a single life support system is built from and depends upon the interdependent relationship of all these very, very different species of animals and plants that also rely upon the mineral kingdom. And one of the most amazing aspects of the kingdoms of nature, which we'll talk about in detail in the premium training that follows here in about 16 or 17 minutes, is the way in which each kingdom draws upon and relies upon the kingdom that gave it birth. So here we have a planet forming several billion years ago out of smoke and ash and dust and particles, debris, molecules really, that have come from exploding stars. They gather together, they congeal into a ball as a result of various forces at work, including gravity, and that ball begins to cool. And out of that comes the earth and the atmosphere, primitive though it was originally, and water formed out of hydrogen and oxygen, and it began to rain. And slowly, the planet began to develop, and how this happens is still a bit of a mystery, but we're making pretty good progress on understanding the inception of life, first as single-celled creatures, part animal, part plant, and out of these microbes and microorganisms came more complex forms of plant life, which began to populate the ocean and the land. And out of that, we see developing basic animal life and higher forms of animals developing out of that until we have at the apex the current human being who seems to have evolved from at least four different distinct humanoid species. 
And there's some recent evidence that these various forms of humanoids did, in some cases, even commingle and mate with each other, even though they may have been quite different in appearance. We do share some DNA, some of us, with species of humanoids that have been extinct for millions of years, like the Neanderthal man. You may think that's who populates Congress, for example, as the now-extinct Neanderthal, and (laughs) there's some evidence for that, actually. But in all seriousness, my point is that the earliest plants drew upon the mineral kingdom. If you garden, for example, you're certainly aware of the need to feed your plants, not only to make sure they get enough sun and water, light and water, but also certain minerals. Some people have resorted, like corporate farms, to petroleum-based chemicals. But the idea of using organic material or mulch as it composts and decays to feed the plants is evidence of this inner dependence or reliance upon the mineral kingdom. So the plants draw upon the minerals, and then the animals come along and eat the fruits of the plants, and sometimes the plants themselves. And one of those animals is the human being. And the human being eats the plant to get the mineral that would not be available if we just ate dirt. It's not very appetizing. It's not likely we would eat dirt and rocks. But when you eat plants, you eat your spinach and your broccoli and your fruits and berries and nuts, you get the minerals and other nutrients that come from the soil, from the earth, that came originally from the exploding star. The plant kingdom makes all of that available to us. Some of us occasionally will eat the animal as well, another way of getting the minerals that we need. So the plants rely on the mineral kingdom. The animals rely on the plant kingdom and the mineral kingdom. Human beings at the apex of the food chain rely on the animals, which rely on the plants, which pull upon the mineral kingdom. You also see a certain liberation or freedom evolving through these kingdoms in nature, where the mineral kingdom evolves, it changes, but ever so slowly, continental drift, mountain building, erosion, One could argue the weather is evidence of change and movement and growth. Some people call the weather the emotional nature of the mineral kingdom. You know, storms and rain and snow and I suppose you could include lightning and thunder and hail and rainbows and that all of that weather phenomena. Plants, of course, are rooted in the mineral kingdom But they have a polarity, though they have their feet in the ground and are well grounded or rooted. They reach for the sky, for the light, and in a sense are like a bar magnet with polarities of earth and 
energy, of matter and energy again, spirit and matter, earth and sky. The plant, the flower, will turn toward the sun and in many cases actually move throughout a given day, tracking the sun across the sky. And in some cases, folding up its leaves at night to retain warmth and then opening again. This is why in cold climates, the leaves are very small and even little needles like an evergreen tree, where, as in the much warmer tropics, the plants have broad leaves standing open to the sun to radiate the excess heat. Very fascinating form of adaptation. But we have growth and movement and evolution in the plant kingdom. And then, of course, as you move to the animal kingdom, the animals of the land, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, they're not rooted. We move. We swim and fly and jump and run and build rocket ships to the moon. We are much more mobile. So each kingdom, while dependent upon the previous kingdoms, drawing upon those previous kingdoms, which continue to exist as we unfold. You can see this. That's why I really like the word unfoldment, this development of kingdoms from the mineral to the vegetable plant to the animal. Some people talk about human beings as an additional kingdom. Some people will group the human being in the animal kingdom. Some people talk about a fourth or a fifth kingdom that is emerging now, the kingdom of conscious souls, which will be so much more highly evolved than the present-day humans that we could say it would be like comparing a human being to a dog or a horse or a dolphin, one of the smarter animals, uh, that perhaps human beings will remain as a branch of the tree and another species of humanoid will evolve above the kingdom we think of as human. In that case, we have to break the human kingdom out of the animal kingdom. It's all a matter of classification. In part of our program that we're going to air in the premium training coming up in 10 minutes or so, we're going to talk about breaking the kingdoms down into phylum, class, order, family, genus, and species. It's quite fascinating. I promise you it's not going to be like a boring biology class because what we're really about is finding ourselves in all of this and understanding that our role as having dominion over these lower kingdoms is not to exploit them for our own purposes, not to continue the rape and the plunder of the last hundred years or so, but to adopt more of a understanding of dominion as caretaker status rather than domination. The domination is one of the definitions, I suppose, of dominion, but so is being a caretaker. And clearly, it's a life support system that if we destroy, if we foul our own nests, then we injure ourselves as well as others. It, 
We seem to benefit in the short run by, oh, look at all this oil we can burn, and, oh, look, here's some unstable uranium. Let's build some nuclear power plants. That's a great way to boil water, to make steam, to, <laughs> to generate power. We don't know what to do with the waste, of course, but we'll figure that out. And so we've got to get a better sense of our role as not dominant, not merely superior or at the apex, but integrate ourselves into the life support system and do so, I would suggest, by having a more integrated view of who we are in terms of all life forms and seeing the plants and animals as our brothers and sisters, our cousins and our nephews and our nieces and our relatives and if we allow the plants and animals to go extinct at an ever-accelerating rate, then obviously we're not going to be far behind all of that. So that's the concept we're going to talk about. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to check your questions on the way out the door. i got to finish setting up the premium training. But I hope you'll join us for the full Oh, we usually go an hour and 15 minutes, sometimes an hour 30. And it begins, as I say, at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 in the East. And that's 20 hours, 30 universal. Of course, it's available by replay on demand. In fact, if you subscribe at any time, you'll get last Sunday's premium program mailed to you right up until the new newsletter comes out. And it's usually Thursday or Friday, and so on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday, if you subscribe, you'll get the previous Sunday's program and listen on demand. And then download the MP3 and put it on your smartphone. Keep it in your computer. Put it on your iPod or your iPad. So... Collect the whole set, as they used to say, and sometimes still do. All right, so yes, we're live. It's a webinar. We are interactive in that regard, but uh, also available by replay on demand. And this particular webinar and class, of course, is podcast as well through the iTunes store. So anyway, to register for the premium training, and you got plenty of time now, five minutes to jump over there, go to theagelesswisdom.com. That's the W's dot theagelesswisdom.com. Click on webinars, then premium training. You can sign up for one class or a quarter or even get the discount of a full year subscription there. You can enroll in any of those three ways one class at a time a 13-week quarter or a full year use your bank card you're done in 60 seconds the thank you page and a confirming email will have the url and password you need and we'll see you over there in a few minutes thanks a lot for being with us today have a wonderful day great week and we'll talk to you next week in the mystery school be gentle love life and take care of each other this is michael benner So long from L.A.